0: It's time now for the ministry of the Word of God. Time for us to read our Bibles. And uh, so I'm just going to go straight to it. Let's go to John chapter 4. I'm going to start reading from verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For he the same holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured, and you have entered into their labor. It's a short passage, but we're going to talk a lot about this. The last five weeks we uh, we've discussed an issue that was triggered by what happened in Minneapolis, America. A pattern that has happened too often, too many times, and for too long. So the result of what happened then, we hear frustrations in the community, we see anger, we see riots, we see demonstrations. Really all, all that is just people crying out for justice. And, uh, but unfortunately, many causes, along with that, have jumped on the bandwagon courses with agendas, all kinds of stuff. And I don't want to talk about all those peripheral stuff, but they try to draw the attention because they, they have their own agendas. But, the, the, but what i want to focus is the question that we have here. Where is the church in the midst of all of this? With that question, we as pastors we chose to engage with the situation and tackle the issue at on. Why? Just to demonstrate that church is about people. It really is that simple. Last week in uh, my introduction, I mentioned how you know, I appeal. Let's just not do church, but be the church. And... Uh, with that appeal today, I want to drill down on this on that comment of being the church and frame how and why we as God's church will deal with any human issue based on biblical truth. We have to be able to engage with real life circumstances. So first I want to draw our attention to the call of the church. What is the call of the church? The call of the church is the call for discipleship. We need to understand that. In Matthew chapter 28, that call is very clear. And I want to say this In Matthew 28, Jesus didn't call us to go into all the world to make converts, He called us to go into all the world to make disciples. And in that call for discipleship, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus referred to the disciples as the salt and the light of the world. In other words, from there I can see there are twofold calls in this call for discipleship. One to be the salt, one aspect, which describes who we are, what we are, and who we are. And the other one is the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5, five verse 13, is the salt of the earth. Verse 14, it says, we are, um, it's, it's what we do. Jesus said, we are the light of the world. And in that, Jesus described, with your good works, show the world who you are. So my conclusion is in this two, what we are and what we do, okay? salt and light what we are and what we do and what we do springs out of who we are and what we are now I want to uh, focus on the salt part because that is the essence because we can do a lot of things you know like, like, like I said last week let's just not do church but be the church so I want to talk about the essence of the church the salt Jesus said, you are the salt. In other words, Jesus speaking of the essence in that discussion, Jesus talked about the flavor of the, the salt and if we lose our flavor, our very essence, we are useless. So my, my, my uh, I want to draw our attention in, in this way in that, like salt, our very essence is, me- is meant to make an impact to our surrounding. make an impact. However, let's take a step, one step, one step back. Before we make an impact, like the salt, the salt will remain as as salty as it is, unless there's an engagement between the salt and its surrounding, like the food or whatever it is. There's not gonna be impact. So before impact, we have to, to go one step backward, engage, we need to engage with our surrounding. and So the impact, the the measure of our impact depends on how we engage with our surrounding. Now here's the thing. The effectiveness of our engagement with our surrounding also one step backward, another another step back in, in how we treat people around us. But how we treat people around us also depends on how we see people around us. So my question is, how do we see people as God's disciples, as disciples of Jesus? Are we going to treat them like I mentioned a few weeks ago, like John chapter 9? When the disciples saw the blind man, the first question they asked is like, who sinned, this man or his father sin? or his parents? I don't think so. So in this, I want to draw our attention to two, how Jesus engaged with different people. And I'm going to use two scenarios in the, in the Gospel of John, because there are two very contrasting scenarios and in two types of people that Jesus engaged with. One is Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Nicodemus is two extreme of people, right? Because Nicodemus is a rabbi, an expert in the law of the Old Testament, and uh, a leader in the community. Okay. He's a guy understanding the law and really anticipating the coming kingdom, the new, this, the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. And the Samaritan woman, it's a woman, you know, with, a, with five husbands, but those five guys, they're not there with her anymore. Now she's living with a sixth man, and this sixth, sixth person is not her husband. So you can see, like, And we can see how Jesus actually interacted and engaged with these two people. And we're going to do this following the the whole steps there. How he sees the people, how he he treats them, and what impact out of all that. All right? Let's talk about Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We're not going to go through verse by verse, but I'm just going to tell the story. All right? Let's talk about good old Nick. All right? John chapter three, how Jesus sees him. Number one, Jesus recognizes and acknowledges him as a teacher because in John chapter three, verse 10, Jesus said to him, you are a teacher of Israel. So he sees him as he is. And so you can, you can sense there is a respect there from Jesus towards him as a, as a teacher. And also, knowing him as a teacher of Israel, as a man who's anticipating uh, and waiting for the coming of the new kingdom of Israel. So So Jesus had an accurate assessment of him. Okay, how did Jesus treat him? He showed him, knowing that this is a man who's waiting for the coming kingdom, Jesus showed him the way to enter the kingdom because pretty much Jesus said I know you're waiting for the coming kingdom but you can't just enter into it you have to to be born into it and born by the spirit. And another thing about how Jesus treated him is that because he recognized that he's a teacher The way he interacted with with Nicodemus is uh, from teacher to teacher, from rabbi to rabbi, even though at the end of the discussion Jesus was a teacher and he was the disciple. (laughs) He was the the student. I want to encourage you to read that story. What impact did Jesus have out of that sort of meeting? Nicodemus became Jesus' secret disciple after that because when the the Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus because they were upset with Jesus, Nicodemus defended Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 50. He said, when they wanted to arrest Jesus, he said to to, to the leaders, to his leaders and his peers, he said, doesn't our law actually encourage us to actually learn of this of the person before we judge them to actually learn and see what they do and then of course they ridiculed him they said well, are you a Galilean too now and uh, so he became he defended Jesus and then also he he was present at the burial of Jesus in John in uh, in John chapter 19 i believe It says there that he brought, at the burial of Jesus, 75 pounds of mixture of myrrh and aloes. A lot of spices, 75 pounds. (laughs) That's the impact. And I believe for the rest, well, the Bible doesn't say much, but for the rest of his life, he was a disciple of Jesus, even though in a secret way. But let's see how, how Jesus interacted, how he engaged with uh, this Samaritan woman okay number one how he sees her Jesus saw her more than just a woman nor even worse Samaritan woman I want to explain this why I push this idea of a woman traditionally at that time it is very uncommon and very unusual and unbecoming for a man to initiate greeting with a with a woman. And more than that, according to uh, verse nine in in uh, chapter four, John chapter four, verse nine, it, where it says where the writer John wrote, the Jews don't associate with the Samaritans, especially a woman. So here we go. And the next thing is. Jesus knew by the Holy Spirit that this woman had five husbands and the ones he's living with now at at that moment is not her husband. Now here's the point I believe. Jesus saw the lifestyle while sinful yet underneath of all that is a deep unquenchable thirst in the woman. So how does Jesus treat her in the conversation, in that interaction? Jesus didn't humiliate her just because he knew by the, by the Spirit her sinful lifestyle. Instead, knowing that unquenchable thirst in her life, Jesus offered her living water to quench that unquenchable thirst. And the next thing is in verse 16 to 18, Jesus actually commended her for her honesty. Jesus said to her, Great, you've told me the truth. Powerful. What's the impact that Jesus had in her life? The first thing is she understood after the conversation, a long conversation, you, you need to read that story. She understood that Jesus is the prophet, and the Messiah an understanding that the multitude of that you gotta understand Samaritans are the second-class citizen they don't connect with the Jews now she's a Samaritan and yet she gained an understanding that Jesus is the prophet and the Messiah where majority of the Jews may stop they totally did not, they couldn't see who Jesus was, and she did. That's the impact. The next thing is that is powerful is this. In that, in, in that uh, conversation, Jesus said, call your husband. So instead of calling her husband, the whole village came to Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? Jesus said, call your husband. She brought the whole village. And this is what the villagers said to, said to her. We no longer believe just because of what she said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Isn't that powerful? Mm-hmm. Now, with that story, I think it will make more sense if you look back again. To what Jesus is saying in John chapter 5, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 35, the scripture that we read before. Do you not say there are yet four months that then comes the harvest? Alright? I believe as the, 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 the Pharisees were coming, Jesus then said to the disciples, do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. <laughs> The fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here he, the saying holds true, one sows one reaps, I send you to reap for that which, is, which you do not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor whose labor, the woman spoke to the village. People came. Now Jesus said, no, you guys cannot read. I want to look look at the disciples, from the disciples. I want to bring the disciples inside this thing. So they went away when Jesus had this conversation with the, the woman. And then after the conversation, they came. After the meeting with the woman, the disciples came and saw Jesus talking to a woman, and the story says that they were too too uh, too afraid to ask yeah. anything. So I can imagine they came, they saw this Jesus speaking to a woman, and by himself and a Samaritan, awkward, you know, kind of like. And I can I can imagine. It's not in the Bible, but I can imagine this is what what could have happened. This is what he would have said. I can see you guys seem awkward awkward about this whole thing. But look, the harvest is right here. Right under your nose. And you don't even know it. The whole village is coming. Why? Because of what you are seeing. how you see. You're seeing the wrong thing. Church and discipleship is about engaging with people in the real way. Not only that, it's about seeing people in the right way. One of the, I want to give you tips just like Jesus and the woman and even with Nicodemus. I want to say this, behind every person, there is a story. If we are about people, and if behind every person there is a, like that woman, there's a story. With Nicodemus, there's a story. If we are about people and we are called to engage people, don't you think that the first starting point is just listen to people? Listen to their story it's it's amazing how I mean I even a few a couple of months ago a few, few months ago I was walking down the, you know down the road here in the park just my, my prayer walk and I tried to because the park there is in is, you know, a gated and everything with fence so I tried to get out of the, the park try to open the gate but this old woman uh, in her wheelchair right in front of her. I couldn't open the gate so I asked excuse me can I get out so she said oh I'm sorry I'm sorry so so anyway I opened the gate and I said I said it's okay and she said yeah I'm really sorry so guess what to start a conversation it's like it really is as simple as how are you going so anyway I asked her so how are you doing you know like are you are you yeah I'm just doing this thing a morning just morning sort of walk a morning whatever <laughs> and then I said yeah I notice you have you have an accent is that a European accent she said yeah 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 she said I'm from from Siberia and I've been here for 50 years but I was born in Siberia and blah 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 and I said wow you look you look so so fit and how old are you you don't normally say that but I just happened to ask mm-hmm. that how old are I said, oh I'm 93 I said what you don't look 93 and I said Man, and I just said, you know, as, as we were talking, I said, Can I pray for you? I just want to pray for you. I said, I'm a minister, so can I pray for you? She said, Sure, you know, I'd love for you to pray for me. She said, One thing, please don't pray that I will live for 100 years old. <laughs> so I prayed for her. You know what? It really is that simple. I mean, see, what? I, could say. I could see something changed in her after I prayed for her. And then I said, I pray, Lord, bless her, Lord. With whatever time that she has, Lord, bless her. And, now the conversation didn't go, go far, but, you know, I, I thought, you know, you, there, is, there are many ways to engage with people. And, and I think that is the call of this here. So my question is this. Awesome. I'm going to close with this. What do you see? Do you, do you see person, do you see a sinner, or do you see, what do you see? Let's just see people for who they are. And next week, we're going to talk about, okay, that's Jesus, he's powerful, he knows everything. Okay, as people who don't know anything, but we are led by the Holy Spirit, how do we engage with people and know where they are? God bless you.